Well, man, we are humbled that you've taken some time out of your Father's Day weekend to come and hang out with us and spend some time with us to open up God's Word. We're in a series called Momentum Killers. We're looking at how uh, you can go through seasons where one week everything is great, the next week everything is upside down. Uh, we have a world that majors in unpredictability. Any of you ever experienced the unpredictability of this world, right? Clemson wins a national championship, and then it looks like we're, we're going to lose to everyone within a, like a year's time. Like I, maybe that's a silly surface example, but it matters to me, okay? So I just figured I'd share that, you know? Uh, your kids, you have a great week at school, and then all of a sudden you have the ter- a terrible week at school, and you're like, who replaced my child with this satanic demon? Like, how does screw tape come and live in my, my child? Some of you have experienced that. You didn't want to amen as hard because they were here, or you're afraid they'll hear. Um, We've all seen the momentum change. Well, in our relationship with Jesus, if I'm being honest, there have been times where opening my Bible and praying and pursuing Christ was easy, and then there's seasons where reading one verse of Scripture seems like I'm going to need a nap afterwards, and I I, I just can't deal with processing or taking in more, and it just seems like there's walls and hurdles that are impeding me from pursuing Jesus, and instead of wanting to listen to worship music, I want to listen to music about people yelling and screaming about how everything's bad and wrong, because momentum in your relationship with God, I think, is a real thing, and so we wanted to look at these killers, these active, uh, subtle, simple habits, these small ways of thinking that can impede, slow down, and work against our momentum in our relationship with Jesus. Last week, we looked at the thing that everyone's talking about. We looked at this thing called greed, and uh, everyone got an accountability partner to help them stop being greedy last week. I'm, I'm sure that's happened, and we've all lived the most generous week of our lives. With that said, uh, we're going to open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can open there with me. If you scan the QR code, you can look at my notes. I am not responsible for grammatical errors and for the English teachers in the room. I already feel judged by you. So this is my notes, and I'm just sharing them with you. It's the thoughts of an attention deficit disorder preacher. Um, Not everything I'm going to say is on that piece of paper. Uh, In fact, I've already said about 13 things that weren't on that piece of paper, uh, the ADD part, confessing that, it feels good to get that off my chest. I'm not just one of those that's making fun of it. It's a real problem. <laughs> Some of y'all don't, aren't awake on Father's Day, so you're not getting my jokes. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, uh, it says this, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take honor or delight in honoring each other. I love the ESV. It says on that second part that we should outdo one another in showing honor. We should outdo one another in showing honor. Now, there's some text in the Bible that we would call commands, meaning uh, it's a prescriptive call to action. Uh, It's not gray. It's black and white. It's direct. Do this. Uh, Let this be common amongst you as a gathering. And what we have here in Romans 12.10 is a command from God that we would let the affection permeate within our fellowship and that there would be a competition of giving honor to others as the collective body of Christ. Now, this text is written to a church uh, that was divided ethnically. They were divided because uh, before Paul wrote this letter, 
uh, there was a group of Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and the Jewish believers had had the seats in the synagogue where they were gathering to look at and remember the resurrection of Christ, but they were all expelled from Rome, and after several years, they're brought back. So the ethnic Jewish people come back, and the Gentile people are sitting in their pew. They're taking up their space. They filled their positions of leadership. And what begins to happen is a lot of dissension and argument. And instead of love for each other, there's a division amongst each other that existed within the Roman church. And so Paul writes to remind them of the gospel that makes the playing field even, no matter what your ethnic background or economic status or whatever it may have been that would divide you or describe you outside the walls of the church, he's now writing to remind you that it's the gospel that brings us, unifies us, and makes us one within the walls of the church. And within that context, he gives some commandments or prescriptive action on how we can continue to abide in the fellowship and the love of the Spirit of God and the love for each other as people of God, and he lays it out that we should love each other in genuine affection. How many of you have been loved disingenuously by people in church? Don't raise your hand, because we could probably all do it. We've all heard people loft words that sound good on the surface, but we know that communication is more than words, that body language, that the way you say it, the way you look when you say it, the expressions of your face, whenever you're saying it, they all add to the genuineness or disingenuineness of the words. Uh, my kids d- model this consistently. They get into arguments and fights, and we prescribe punishments in my house. Some people would call that mean. I'd call it being a caring father. And so we... Uh, we let them know, you do this, life will become more difficult. If you refuse to stop doing this, life will continue to become more difficult. And I'm not above locking the cabinets and telling you you ain't getting no food till you eat whatever it is that your mama cooked. Like, that's the way it works in my house. Some of y'all are concerned. I would suggest you need a backbone. Um, (laughs) Welcome to church. Okay, so... But we'll tell the kids, you got to apologize. Well, I don't want to apologize. Well, it doesn't matter if you don't want to apologize. You're going to apologize. All right, I'm sorry. Like, there was nothing genuine about that. And, and in church, if we're being honest, there's sometimes we say the right thing, but we do not mean it. It is not genuine. It is not backed by affection for the other person, a concern for the other person, a desire for the other person to grow, to, to be rooted in Christ, to be stirred in their confidence, to walk towards and live out a life that God has called them to live. But the thing that we get in this is we're to be genuine in that affection and in it have this competitive, healthy outdoing, delighting, in honoring each other. And I believe, personally, that this commandment is the least practiced commandment in the entire scriptures. Let me explain. Outdo one another in showing love. Why is this the least practiced commandment in Pastor Russ's opinion? Well, in the church, we have created a culture that believes if I do no harm, I must be honoring you. That if passively I say nothing mean, I've given you honor and I've somehow fulfilled this commandment. It's like the dad that says, I told you I loved you once and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. And so the the mindset that we can create culturally is this mindset within the church that if I am not saying mean things, I must be fulfilling Romans 12.10, which caused me to say honoring things to my neighbor, to other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So some of you have said, I've even heard it, well, I wasn't mean to them. I didn't do anything bad to them. But I want you to understand that neutrality is not honoring. No one wants to be Canada, all right? Pick a side. When when you need people behind you, when you need to know if God's work is active in you, you don't need people that are like, well, I'm just going to withhold my judgment. I don't know enough information to say. That's not neither honoring or dishonoring. It's just not helpful. And for a lot of us, we've assumed that neutrality means that we've been honoring, when in reality, what we need is someone that would affirm and say, hey, I see Christ in you, and I am with you as a sister, as a brother in Christ, and I want to embolden you, I want to empower you, I want to encourage you, I want to build you up to know that the world may be against you, because it's against the word of Christ, or the work of Christ, but I'm with you, and I'll walk this road beside you. You see, neutrality is not Honoring. Unfortunately, many of us make, many make assumptions that people around us know how we feel or think about them. And our neutrality has created a culture that allows only discouragement and criticism to be heard within our community because our neutrality keeps us silent. So let me be clear. The enemy's not taking days off to discourage everybody around you. To elevate and promote the greatest of doubts and the greatest of shortcomings the worst of your mistakes, and to play them like a tape on repeat in your head. So if this is the enemy's plan to be audible in his discouragement, then God would need to counter with a plan to be audible in his encouragement. And God's plan was that he would create a community of people that whenever we are down and burdened, we would divide the burden together. Whenever we're hearing the attack of the enemy, we would hear the truth of God's word and what we've become in light of Christ and his work within us. And so he made a church so that we would be a tape that played on repeat the encouragement and the confidence and the truth of God's work and worth in our lives so that we would be emboldened to stay the path and the path of discouragement that comes against the work of God around us. So what happens in many church communities is that people walk around discouraged, not hearing the honor that would encourage them until the day they die, where then at the funeral, this symphony that's been silent stands up and begins to eulogize and say things that are extremely encouraging and God-honoring about the person that they never heard when they were actually living amongst us. Here's my point, church. We should not need a funeral to communicate honor to those God has enriched and blessed our lives with. You shouldn't need a crisis. You shouldn't need like a a special occasion to say to dads, we honor you. You shouldn't need a special day to say to a mom, we honor you. You shouldn't need a special moment or uh, friends are friends forever to be played in the church on the PA system. And friends are friends forever. Anybody remember this? If the Lord's the Lord of them. If any Methodist church that I grew up in was trying to stir someone to action or tears, this is what we'd go to. And a friend will not say never because the welcome will not end. And though it's hard to let you go in the Father's hands, we know. <laughs> that a lifetime's not too long. Live as friends. Okay, applause. Go ahead. More, more. No, no, no. But more, 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 more. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden, I remember, because no one ever honored anyone in the, uh, I can't remember anyone ever honoring anyone in the church I was growing up in, and I remember that happened. I walked into my Sunday school teacher, and I was like, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're, and it was like, he was like blown away, because I was like eight or nine, and I'm telling him, thank you for teaching me Sunday school, but this was not a common practice. We don't need a special occasion or a song or a holiday to be a people of honor. This is to be a common, normal, active practice. And a lot of you are hearing this, and you're like, okay, okay, I get it. We're supposed to honor people, but can we talk about serious things? Can we, can we talk about, like, like, my life is struggling. I've got financial, like, debt problems. I need, like, miraculous power, like, big God stuff. Can we get to something big? And here's what I want you to know. It's stuff like greed and dishonor that are keeping you from experiencing the momentum that God has given you, the community around you to embolden and uh, encourage as you walk towards Christ. It's these little things, these subtle things that often are robbing us of the abundance that God has called us to in our life. And I'll explain why in just a minute. Here's my point I want to make from the outset. Honor is to be actively expressed in our words and actions to others. It's to be common. It is to be active. You should not be prompted. We've got to get over this idea of, well, they're going to think it's weird. They're, they're, they're going to be freaked out if I start, you know, like, like, who cares? Who cares? I would rather you be freaked out by me recognizing and pointing to the work of Christ in your life so that you would be encouraged and embarrassed than for you to sit silent in discouragement thinking that no one around you sees you and values you and recognizes the uniqueness of God's work in you. Well, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to do honor wrong. Well, we do everything wrong. Like, none of you have ever practiced anything that's in the Bible perfect. So I would rather be erring on the side of trying and being wrong than doing nothing to try and ensure some kind of neutrality. Like, like I, I would rather try, and some people are like, well, that's not the way I want to be honored. Okay, well, let me figure it out, because I'm going to honor you when I see the work of Christ at work in you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 it says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is the church of Philippi is writing to, Paul. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Okay, now this is going to help us uh, paint a lane. I don't want to go here too quick, but I, I do want to get to explaining what Christian honoring is because it's not deifying a person it's not worshiping someone. It's not elevating to the position of God. But, but look at what this text is saying. It's saying we're to fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable. Why? Because it's easy to have your mindset, especially when it comes to your identity, fixed on something that's broken and untrue. That's Satan's goal. Let me get you to think the worst of yourself and the best of everybody else so that you feel isolated and alone. Let, let me get you to look in the mirror and like over-evaluate, and instead of appreciating what God has created, let me get you to tear it apart and, and think in your mind it's so imperfect that it needs to be completely hidden and out of sight, and you need to walk in insecurity, and you don't need to be confident in the fact that you are blood-bought and redeemed and forgiven and made new, and your value and your worth is not just mere appearance. It's not a track record of your past. It's not a potential ability in your future. It is the fact that you have the presence of God at work in you. You see, that's an honorable thought. The honorable thought is that you are an image bearer of God. Whether or not you love God or hate God or don't know who God is or anything in between, you were created in God's image. 
Therefore, from that, we can begin to build on what's true and admirable so that you can be reminded who God is and in light of who God is, who you are, so that you can walk encouraged, encouraged instead of discouraged. So we fix our thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of... Here's the problem. When we, when we lose the culture of honor amongst each other, we start... Losing our thanksgiving and praise towards God. Because we're not recognizing God at work in others, then we're not recognizing God at work in us. And when we're not recognizing God at work in us, we begin to uh, overlook where he's active and begin to elevate where we feel like he's inactive. And so all we see is problems because we've lost sight of the God who's at work in others and at work in us. And we stop praising. All right, number nine, verse nine. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Look at what it goes on to say. Is there more? Yes. Oh, that's a quote. Go back to the text. I missed something that was a cue in my head and it's not there. Everything you heard from me and saw. Okay, practice. There it is. Ha! Keeping. <laughs> Keep putting into practice all you learned. What are we practicing? Honor, praise. We're, we're active in continuing to be uh, people of honor and praise. Ray Ortland, the quote you got, he said this, We, the church, the people in Christ, who are destined for glory, are now commanded by God to create alternative cultures of honor. Call churches where people are lifted up. Their accomplishments are celebrated. Their strengths are admired. Their weaknesses forgiven. This new relational environment has high standards in keeping with the glory of the gospel itself, which is the motivation for all encouragement and honor that we give. So this is the idea that, that this house, like you should feel lighter when you leave it. You, you should feel more encouraged, not, not in your self-sufficiency, but in the fact that God's doing something. And we may not be able to identify it, and we may not be able to give you two steps ahead of where God's leading it or what it's going to be, but we know that God is doing something. And so we gather together, and we're encouraged in the fact that God's not done with someone like me, that he actually sees me, knows me, that I'm not the, the rare sparrow or the one sparrow that fell and he didn't see it. I'm not the one person struggling in the valley that he's not leading, that he's the good shepherd in the valley, that he's the good shepherd in, in, in the midst of darkness, that he's the good shepherd in the midst of triumph, he's the good shepherd in the midst of enemies. And when we gather together, the idea is that we would have a culture that reminds each other of this truth that we often are aren't hearing in the world so that we'd be encouraged, emboldened, and rooted in our identity in Christ so that we would be an encouragement to the world as we go out as the people of Christ around us. How do you build a culture of honor? Well, let's work on that. First thing I think we need to do is we need to define what honor is and what honor isn't. Because a lot of us have cultures that talk a lot about honor and really what it is is the pastor hasn't heard good job in a while and he's wanting to get a good job from somebody. That's not what I'm getting at. This is not person worship. This is not saying you are irreplaceable. There is no one that is, ir that is not irreplaceable in your life other than God. If you got God, everything else is a blessing from God and a gift from God, but not a requirement for you to live life or to have a good life. Honor, here's what I want you to see, is not reverence. Let's define the two, okay? 
Honor is not reverence. Honor is not about revering people or elevating them to God's position in our lives. That's what reverence is. Reverence is when we uh, have veneration, which is this moment of profound awe and respect and worship. And so honor is not like, let's all take a minute and worship Sally because Sally killed it last quarter. Let's all take a minute and worship mom because I, dad, didn't want to help mom and she's endured it and she still has dinner on the table. Like, like, like that, it's not worship. Here, here's what it is though. Honor is recognizing the uniqueness of the work of God in the person that God has put around you or the people that God has put around you. Jesus shows up to his hometown and it says he didn't do many miracles there because they weren't people of honor. They, they basically said, isn't he just like us? Isn't he from here? He's, he's just like us. What are they doing? They're taking what is unique and they're making it common. That's what dishonor does. If you have a spouse, they are unique. They are not common. Therefore, honor them. If you have kids, you've made people. Congratulations. You've got a tribe. They are not common. They are unique. Therefore, be honoring in the way that you parent them. If you have parents, they are unique. Honor them. If you have church community and people that are your people that love you enough to say hard things to you and to walk with you through the hard work as God is working out your salvation and making you into the image of Christ, those are unique people. Honor them. Grab them. Appreciate them. Not because you worship them, but because you recognize God has uniquely orchestrated this group of people around me so that I'd be more like him, so that I would not be discouraged and overcome in this season, but I would be encouraged and I would endure through the season because of who God has surrounded me with. It, it's really not about the person, but it's about you seeing the goodness and the sovereignty of God that has surrounded you with the persons that are around you and not allowing what is uncommon, the appointment of God and putting people around you to become common in your mind so that you overlook the goodness of God that is being given to you and the people that surround you in seasons of life. So honor is not, uh, is not reverence. It is recognizing the uniqueness of who God has put in your life for your growth or in this season of time. So here's my point. We revere God, we honor people. I revere God. The second someone is irreplaceable, they're in the wrong seat. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you you should be looking to replace people because some are like, well, good, because I want to replace half the people God's appointed in my life. No, no, no. <laughs> the idea is that you would revere God. I need you. I need you to move, and part of God moving is he orchestrates and puts people around us in different seasons of life that encourage and build us up to grow. So honor is not reverence. Honor is recognizing the uniqueness of God and the appointment of people that are around you that are not common, that are not to be overlooked, but that are there to be an encouragement and a sounding board of the gospel in your life. Number two, Christian honor is recognition of God's glory at work in others. And I've taught this before, and you're going to hear this come up a lot, but it comes out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27 says this, For God wanted them to know the riches of, and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. So, some saints are hard to honor. Let's be honest. It's difficult at times to recognize good things. We're all at messy parts of the process of sanctification. But what we know is that Christ is at work in every saint. Therefore, there is something to be honored because Christ is present. 
Am I making sense to anyone? So I'm constantly or consistently looking for the work of Christ in someone else. Uh, at the 10-year anniversary last fall, um, one of the things that I continue to be impressed with is Christ's work through Pastor Austin in this church. And I wanted to take some time to make sure on the 10-year anniversary that I pointed out the ways in which I've seen, in a short period of time at that point in time, Christ work through Austin to your benefit, uh, to uh, uh, sacrifice in a way that's loving and gracious to so many of you. And what was interesting is after doing that, I had people come up and they're like, I've never seen anyone do that before. And I'm like, that's a problem. That's a problem, right? Because you have spiritual gifts and, and God is at work in your life. And when God's at work, my hope would be that as a co-laborer beside you, I would see the work of God in you. I'm like, man, your empathy I see your compassion. I see your empathy for others around you. And that encourages me to know that Christ is at work around me through people like you. I see Jesus in you. So it's not like you're talented and you're, you're awesome. Because whenever we begin to speak honor to build up the person in their self-sufficiency and their skill set, it's actually not a blessing, but it's a burden. I know many people who have the gift of generosity and they end up feeling burdened because all they feel like they have to do is keep up with making more and more and more so they can give more and more and more and it never stops and they don't feel honored because instead of recognizing Christ at work making the person generous, they put it on their shoulders as you're really good financially and you're so skilled and it's all about them and then they carry the weight instead of the blessing of knowing that Christ is at work in them. So they feel discouraged instead of encouraged, which is the whole point of honoring. So Christian honoring is whenever I see Christ at work in someone, I'm trying, and I see it in you, Travis Trammell. Like, I see Jesus at work in the way that you love Logan right now. And I know we're, we're going through it, you and I. And I've seen the way that you encourage him and the way you sacrifice time and you show up in the hospital. And I see Jesus at work in you, man. And I don't know what he's going to do in Logan's life through it, but man, I'm so encouraged by you, Travis. I see Jesus at work in you, and it encourages me as a pastor to want to be more compassionate to the people that I lead. You're a good friend, and Jesus has worked that out in you and made you a good friend in him. I, just, that should be normal. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I, I see him at work in you, Martina Gregory. I see him in the way that you love your, your child, in the way that you've endured through this season, and it encourages me to see the compassion and the patience that you love her with, it, it, I see Jesus at work. This should be common in our church. I mean, if you've ever been to D.R. Hill, then you see Jesus at work in Dolores because, good Lord, she's like, <laughs> it's like if the Lord really wanted to come close and make sure everyone knew that Jesus loved him, he's like, I'm going to plant Dolores at D.R. Hill. And like everywhere, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah Jesus at work. Some people are like, God's done with public schools. No, Dolores is still there. I see Jesus at work in you. And this is good, healthy, normal Christian encouragement. Should be commonplace. Amen? All right, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> so Christian honor is recognition of God's glory at work in others. Number two. Number three, honor is not flattery or manipulation. And this is where it goes wrong. Because some of us that are verbal about honor, quote unquote, are actually doing it to get position and favor and stuff from the people we're honoring. It has nothing, there's nothing about honoring that should be about getting a favor later. 
I'm not trying to get something from the person I'm honoring. I'm recognizing that God has already given me something through the person I'm honoring. And so I'm not honoring them because, you know, like I want more or because I need a favor down the road. Like, like it's genuine. It's not flattery. It's not manipula- manipulation. When you give honor, it is direct. It is direct. It is specific. And it is thoughtful. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. I had a friend who would buy a card to honor someone and then sign their name and, and give it. And after like four or five of these cards, it's like, man, appreciate the card. It's awesome. He's like, yeah, I just want you to know I honor you. I'm like, I'll be honest, I have no clue. And he's like, well, why not? I gave you a card. And I said, because the only thing that's written in the card is whatever the card company wrote. Like, I don't know, like, is that your words or is that the car? Like, are you trying to say that my words to you are what the car company wrote? Like, it just, it, did, it didn't translate as genuine because I was reading Hallmark card writer letters, which apparently was in like a Christmas movie a couple of years ago on that terrible network that's going to deprive me of football um, this fall. But, <laughs> but like, like it, 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 you've got to make sure that your heart is in the right place, that your motive in honoring is not to get, but it's to give. See, flattery, unlike honor, is usually generalized and not thought through. It's like, oh, I've got to say something because, you know, we're here and we're supposed to like, it's the honor bubble and we're supposed to, everyone's going to say something nice. Well, you always have, um, you're just, uh, in general, just, uh, you're really kind. It's not honoring. It's not honoring. Psalm 12, too, it, it says this. Uh, Neighbors lie to each other. It's really encouraging. Speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is perhaps the way the world works, but, but you and I are to be honoring in that when we see the short-sightedness of sin taking over a brother or sister's life, what is honoring may not seem encouraging in the moment, but it's pointing out the path that the person may not want to go down, which is making sinful choices with no one honoring them enough to speak up. So honoring is not always, man, you're killing it, and Jesus is at work in you. Sometimes Honoring is, hey, I love you, and I believe that it's my honor and job to gracefully one-on-one tell you that the current decisions and outlook that you have is off, and it's going in a direction that's not good, and if you don't stop and pause and pump the brakes, you're going to arrive to a destination you don't want to go, and I love you too much to flatter you. I love you too much to casually let this happen. I don't want your destruction, but I want to see you succeed in Christ Jesus. I want to see you grow up in Christ Jesus, so I can't stay silent when you're on a path of destruction, and I'm not going to flatter and lie to you whenever you're wearing no clothes. This makes sense. So we're not, we're not to flatter each other. We're not to flatter each other, but we're to honor each other with genuine words of encouragement that point to the ongoing work of Christ in each other. Now, how do we get started? Well, let me start with where, because I think there's a biblical like breakdown of where we start honoring. So if you're a person that's not honoring, maybe you're afraid to give honor, uh, the starting point would be this guy named the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, For a lot of us, this is where it all falls down. Uh, We don't honor God in the way that we know that we aren't honoring God. It's because God's word is suggestive and not authoritative. 
So we take the parts that we like and we elevate them. We minimize the parts we don't like because we're actually dishonoring God. And we would not like for it to be termed so strongly. We'd rather it be termed as, well, I'm just confused with reading the Scripture. No, usually what many of us are confused about has nothing to do with what's confusing about Scripture. We're confused about what's clear in Scripture and we don't like it. It's a big difference, right? And so the idea is that you and I would start not with honoring our neighbor, but honoring the Lord. I mean, the, the, the equation always breaks down with you love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the overflow of loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength is that you love your... But if you don't love the Lord, it's going to be impossible to do the second part of the commandment. So it all starts with loving God, honoring God. So if we don't honor our neighbor, it may be that we're not honoring God. And if we're not honoring God, a good place to start is looking at the Scripture within Monday to Friday and going, what am I disregarding that God has called me to as a follower of Jesus? What am I dismissing or diminishing that God would have me follow as a follower of Jesus? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit was working with some of you. Like, where am I dishonoring God? And then we pull up Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you let me, let me turn your attention here because some of you are like, I, I turned off, even though I was reading the Bible and I wanted the preacher. But, you know, just reading the Bible. But let, let, let's, for a second, set this top part aside with the best part of everything you produce. How do you honor God? With the best part of everything you produce. Whether it's time, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's your energy, and obviously within this context, with your wealth. The idea is that God, if he is to be honored in my life, gets the best. He gets first pick. He gets the, the first part of everything. Uh, I'm not a morning person. Anybody out there with me? All right, where are you weird people that wake up singing to birds? All right, all right, I don't, I don't get you. I don't, I don't understand. Here's my point. I do my best every day to be, and it's, it's really hard because my, my kids, I'm telling you, Satan's at work. I try, to, I try to beat them up because before my kids get my time, before my wife gets my time, I want God to get my time. And I'm not a morning person, and that's why I'm saying this. Because if I was a morning person, y'all could all be like, well, you're just a morning person. I'm a, a not, okay. I just know that for me, I'm so tired at day's end that if I wait to the end of the day, sometimes it happens, and I try to pray and read, it's not going to be good. It's, it's just not going to be good. Like sometimes the biggest most difficult move of the day is a day where spiritually I've not pursued Jesus hard. My wife and I are laying exhausted in the bed, kind of like a, a scene after a traumatic event where we're like, that just happened Monday. And the hardest move sometimes is to muster up the energy to roll over, put my arm around her, and say verbal words called a prayer. I don't know why. Like, why is it so hard then when I'm spent at the end of the day to do what's so needed. I don't, I don't get it. So to work against that, I try to get up before my kids, who then are constantly playing a mystery game. I mean, I did 4.30 at one point in time. My kids are like, hey, cereal. I'm like, what? Where, who, where's he at? The, the demon. I'm going to go and get, like, who is waking you up? Right? But, but I try to do my best to put God first, because I want him to get the best part of everything that I have in my life. Whenever we start with it being about him getting the best part of everything, giving and being generous becomes secondary and easy things because it's just another part of a person who is consumed with honoring 
God. Are you tracking with me? So we start with honoring the Lord. If we're not honoring our neighbor, it may be that we're not honoring the Lord because our honor of the Lord should lead to us recognizing the work of him in our neighbor. So we honor the Lord, number one. Number two, we honor the saints. We honor the saints. This is a term we see all throughout the Bible to describe those that are in Christ Jesus. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 3, it says, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Here's what you need to know. If you are in Christ Jesus, God loves you. He is satisfied with you, not a future version of you. He takes delight in you. He's delighted in you. I say all that so that you can hear those of you that struggle to get to church or struggle to read your Bible or struggle to do the things that you think that you need to do to be more admirable or loving to God is that he admires and loves you in Christ Jesus in the worst of your seasons, in the biggest of struggles of your seasons, and in the best of your seasons. And what that means is if you're in Christ Jesus and he delights in you that we as the people of God have to understand that God's at work in the people of God and be on the lookout for the work of God in the life of other believers. It may not be easy to see at the beginning. There may be moments where it's tough to find something that is honorable in another believer because they didn't vote the way that you vote. They don't watch the news station that you watch. They don't think about life the way that you think about life. But nonetheless, if they are blood-bought and in the family of God, God is at work in them. He's delighted in them, and we are to delight and honor them to build them up in Christ Jesus. So we start with the Lord. We go to the saints. Then we move to everyone's favorite subject, the authorities. This is why it's probably the least practiced commandment in the Bible. Because let's be honest for a second. We're in the South. I know where we're at. I was in California for a long time. Some of you are still worried that maybe California's in me or am I, was I in California? We don't know. <laughs> Only time will tell. Let's be honest. How much prayer has been offered up in this house for our president? I called for prayer for the president one time, and people laughed. Like we, it's like we think this stuff in the Bible is, is not really important. I mean, honor the ones that, that are honorable, but if they're not honorable, you, you understand that when Paul wrote Romans 14 about honoring the governor, he wrote it under Nero, who was burning Christians at the stake. Like some of y'all are like, they're trying to burn us. Well, it's not like that would eliminate the need for you to honor the leaders that are around you. There's not an authority on this earth that God is not in full control over. It's not losing control of a plan that he has. It's not like, and, and, and look, the, 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 I get I'm going into a theological spectrum that I don't have time to unpack in a great detail. But let me be very clear, let me be very clear that we are to not be silence, silent in the face of evil, but we are also not to be the kind of people that are out there burning everything down because we're not getting it our way in some way. We, we pray. We deal honorably with those that are in leadership around us. Prayer is not a passive exercise, but it's appealing to the highest authority in all of the land and all authorities for his work in our lives. There's several authorities that the Bible speaks to that we are to honor. We're to honor our parents. We're to honor the elderly. And we're to all honor those that are in government, whether we like them or not. <laughs> Ephesians 6.2, in case you want to check on where I'm pulling this from. Leviticus 19.32 and Romans 13.1. Go read it. <clears throat> it's not about you loving their policy. It's not about you liking all the rules that they have. It's not about you sitting in silence and not having a voice. It's that some of you are yelling about your carnal desires 
and it's not the kingdom's desires, and you're making everyone aware of it, but no one's seeing Jesus in you right now because all they can see is your political positions instead of the open hands of the Savior being reached out to the world through you in your life. I'm going to get in trouble if I keep going, but I'll move on. Number three, we start by honoring authorities. Number four, we finally get to this thing called our neighbors. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it speaks to this. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Respect the king. Today, the best thing that could happen would be that we would become a church that actively seeks to give honor to each other in the house so that this would carry over into us honoring those in the neighborhoods outside of our house. Again, I want to remind you, obeying this call to honor imperfectly is better than disobeying for fear of imperfection. So, what's the goal? Well, the goal of honor today in this sermon is that we would acknowledge the uniqueness of the work of God through a person in our life. That may look like honoring a father. That may look like honoring a mother. That may look like honoring a pastor. That may look like honoring a brother and sister in Christ. That may look like honoring a coworker. Nonetheless, it's not neutrality. It's active recognition of God's work in the life of people that he's appointed and placed around you in your life so that you would be built up and encouraged by his work through them that benefits you. Here's my invitation. Prayer team's going to come. We do have someone getting baptized, which we're really excited about in just a few moments. But maybe, maybe today, your application would be the need to repent of an ungenerous spirit toward truly worthy people. Say that again. Maybe what needs to happen in your life before you petition and complain more about what you don't have or what you want is that you would repent of an ungenerous spirit toward truly worthy people that God has put in your life. So let me just go ahead and help some of you. You're sitting by them. And you've been ungenerous toward them. And in your actions and in your mind, you started treating them as if they were common when they're actually a gift from him. So for some of you, maybe it's as simple as going, thank you. For some of you, maybe it looks like bending a knee because it's not started with the people. It started with the fact that you dishonor God as not even first or second or third priority in your life, but as a minor priority in your life, as a replaceable person in your life. And at the end of the day, there's no one like him and no one you can compare to him. And so for maybe a few of you, you need to come and repent and actively say, you know what, I I want to honor you. And if that looks like bending the knee, then I want to bend my knee. I want to lift my hands. I want to point to the fact that while my life is not a storybook and it's not everything that I've wanted it to be, there's reason to praise. There's reason to point to the fact that you are still good and there's nothing in my past that would make me think that in my present you have forsaken me and gone back on your word. And so I want to come back to a place, God, of honoring you because I've been filled with dishonor towards you because of what I've yet to see you do. So maybe for some of you that's an application. 
Whatever it looks like, you move us to the Lord leads. Let's stand to our feet. Prayer team, you come. Let's respond.